0: Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. We're at the end of our series called On Vacation, where we're looking at familiar passages, and we're, we're trying to to work our way through them and gain a fresh perspective from them. And today we want to look at the story of Esau and Jacob or Jacob and Esau. And most of us remember that story in the sense that they were two twins born to uh, Isaac and Rebekah. And, uh, and as they were born, there was this rumbling that was going on, this fight that was going on in, in Rebekah's womb. And uh, and as they were fighting, she began to pray, Lord, what is going on with this pregnancy? What's going on with these, with, with my, with, with, with the babies in me? And the Lord revealed to her that, that there was a, a battle that really was taking place. And that there would be two children that would be born. And that those two children, uh, that they, the older would serve the younger. And the younger would lead the older. And would, would be the keeper of the covenant that would be passed on, that was passed on from Abraham to Isaac. And now would be passed on to this younger one. They didn't yet know the names, and as they were born, sure enough, they were battling for who would come out first, and Esau came out first, and then there was Jacob hanging on to his heel, trying to pull him back, if you will, and there comes Jacob, and he was named Jacob, which literally means deceiver. Interesting that he was named that because we get to watch the rest of his life unfold where he constantly struggles with that idea of deception and lying and and, in fear making decisions that don't honor God. And yet God continued to do his work in his life and continue to do his work in keeping the covenant with him and through him. And so what we find is that quickly, there's a, uh, we find that Isaac is, is really uh, connecting well with Esau. Esau is a man of the fields. He's a, a, a man of, he's a hunter, and he's, a, he's kind of a burly dude, we guess. And he's good with his weapons of war and everything else. And then it says, it describes Jacob as one who liked to stay home. He liked to stay back at the homestead and didn't go out there and, and do the hunting and the fighting and things like that. So Isaac was attracted and, and, and really favored Esau, and Rebekah favored Jacob. Now what's interesting there is that uh, we see one of the first moments of, of conflict come in that Esau comes in out of the field, and he's been hunting, but he obviously didn't catch anything, so he comes in with nothing, and he goes to his brother, who's cooking up some lentil stew, and he says, give me some stew. How hungry are you? No, I'm starving. Give me some stew. Really? How hungry are you? What do you mean? He's like, I'll tell you what. You give up your birthright, and I'll give you some stew. What? Give your brother some stew, You knucklehead. Like if he came home with a, you know, a deer or something he killed, he'd be giving, feeding the family, give him some stew, but now he's like, ah, this is it, I'm going to take the birthright. What was the birthright? It was the inheritance uh, that was passed on from the father to the first son. And if you were the first son, it wasn't an equal inheritance, it wasn't just an equal portion, it was half of the other portions, right? So in other words, you got your half plus the greater half. So in other words, another half portion. So really what Esau was being asked to give up was not only half of all that Isaac had, but it was also another half of what was left over after he had half. And he said, fine, you can have my birthright. I'm like, what, really? You sold your birthright for a a bowl of stew? I'm thinking you could have made it one more day, just one more day. So so there he is. He sold his birthright. Uh, Jacob cheated him out of it. And, uh, but, but here's the interesting thing, is that even though the birthright could be transferred, it could be stolen, it could be sold, it could be, all sorts of things could happen to it, until the father gave his final blessing, nothing was in concrete. It was literally the father's word that would declare who the birthright and the blessing actually went to, even though it could be done in all these other ways, right? And so, and generally, the father would be a part of it and agree, and, and but, On this occasion, Jake was getting towards the end of his life and towards the end of his years, and he called in Esau and he said, hey, go go get us some good game and go hunt and prepare a great meal, for I'm going to bestow my blessing upon you. Whoa, hold on a minute. To bestow the blessing upon him would mean that he would receive everything that at one time, he had already surrendered, and so Rebecca hears this, and she's like, "Jacob, we got to fix this. We got to fix this right now." And now the conniving begins to happen again. So literally, they put animal skin because remember, Esau was a hairy man, and so they put animal skin all over Jacob so that he would smell as if he had been out hunting. he had smell as if he was from the field and had the kill all over him, and so. They, uh, they cooked up the, some game that they had, and they brought it in to, Jacob and ja- I mean, to Isaac, and Isaac goes, who is this? And he goes, this is Esau, your son Esau, is what Jacob said. And he goes, how'd you get back so fast? And he's like, ah, you know, uh, the Lord gave me favor. Oh my goodness, you're calling the Lord's name into this scheme. Are you kidding me? And the Lord gave me favor, and here's this great meal. And he goes, you sound like Jacob, but you feel and, and smell like Esau. And so eh, that was it. And so he gave Jacob the blessing that continued the covenant and gave him the greater portion and said that your brothers would serve you. You would lead this family. And in almost no time after, Esau does show up and he's like, hey, I'm ready for my blessing. And dad's like, what do you mean? Who are you? This is Esau. And He goes, oh, no, I just gave it to Jacob. I've been tricked. And then so here's Esau, right? And oh, my goodness, he is ticked. I mean, stew lentil cooking boy just made Hunter mad. That's a bad deal. And he simply said, I'm going to kill you. Now, maybe his brothers and sisters and family members, maybe there was a moment. I know that there was more than one moment as I grew up with six brothers. Uh, there was more than one moment we kind of went at each other and I said, like, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> you know, it was, That wasn't this. No, literally he meant, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life for what you took from me well, Rebecca hears this and she's like, we gotta get you out of here. We're gonna send you to your uncle's house. That way you can find a wife from our family and our tribe, not one of these pagan uh, families. And we're gonna send you out there and you're gonna go on this journey and we gotta get you out of here now. So he, he does and he leaves. And on his way there, he stops in one night. Now remember, this is Jacob. Here's the cool thing about Jacob that we need to really relate to here. He was a man in process. Listen, the covenant was already promised to him. When we come to know Christ, we're already, already wrapped up in the covenant. The, the future's promise to us. His promise to never leave us or forsake us is absolutely secure. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and secures us for eternity. But we're in process. Jacob already had the covenant passed to him. It was already given to him even before birth. And he got it by false ways. But it was always the Lord's plan that he would have it. And here he is, a, a man in process. He's not getting it right all the time. Matter of fact, he spends most of the time getting it wrong. Do you remember that time? Do you remember when you gave your life to Christ? When you first began to walk with the Lord? Can, can you see your process a little bit? Can you, are you, do you walk with him more faithfully today? Has your life been changed more today than it was that first day you said yes? Do you see how the Lord has overtaken you and taught you and used circumstances in your life, used your failures to teach you better about how to have successes, and, and, and used, used failed relationships to show you how to have better relationships? Use moments where you didn't love very well and extend grace very well to give you moments and teach you how to extend that love and grace better? We're in process. It's literally a process in Scripture that is referred to as sanctification. We're being sanctified. That means we're being made holy. We're being made into Christ-likeness, but we're in process. And so here's Jacob just messing everything up, but he's in process. And on his way to see his uncle, he lays his head down, and he has this dream. Because God is faithful. God is faithful with us. When we are his, we are his, and he is absolutely faithful with us. And even though he's been up to no good, even though he's been failing, here he is laying his head down, and he has his dream. And he sees people ascending and descending from heaven. And all of heaven opens up, and he says, The Lord is here. And he has this moment, this encounter with God that is just so meaningful and so powerful in his life that he never forgets it. And in fact, he refers back to it. Do you remember those moments you had in your life that are so powerful that you literally feel like you saw the face of God? You experienced the presence of God and you remember that and it helps you to strive forward. You remember that and it gives you not just the warm feelings, but it secures your walk with Christ that he is really there even in the most darkest moments. Well, that's what this place Bethel was to him. And when he experienced that, his whole life began to change. He was now not only did he have the covenant, but he was now being transformed. He was now being renewed. He was now in true progress of giving his life and surrendering it to Christ. Well, he goes off to to Laban's house and and he finds this beautiful, amazing woman named Rachel. And he goes, oh, I'm going to marry her. And Laban just like does it. I mean, just gets over on him again and again and again. For the next 20 years, deceit follows Jacob. And literally, he's just experiencing his own medicine. Well, Jacob, being a man in process, doesn't just simply say, oh, Lord, get me out of this. He's like, yeah, I can snake you around too. I can give you a little bit of your own medicine because I'm the deceiver. Jacob, by the way, if I didn't say that, actually means the deceiver. He's like, I can deceive all people, trust me. And so here he is up to his old schemes, labing up to their own schemes. And finally, he hears the voice of the Lord through circumstances and through we assume praying, but literally through the word of the, God, of the Lord, he hears this, go home. It's time to collect all your possessions. It's time to take your family and go home. Enough of this. And so he leaves and starts to make his way home. Now, to go home, and the Lord literally called him to go back to Bethel, the place where you saw me, the place where you encountered me. Sometimes when we lose our way, And it gets really difficult, whether just through memory or through physical presence. We need to go back to that place where our understanding of God was the greatest, where our experience with him was truly captivating. We need to go back there. Do you remember those places? Do you remember that? I do. I remember the very first book of the Bible I read. It was Matthew. Still to this day, it is my favorite gospel. I go there and it's fresh and new every time, but it also reminds me of coming to understand his word fresh, new, it was exciting. And I get excited when I read it. I remember the second book of the Bible I read. It was this monumental moment where I read the book of Genesis. And it was like all of God began to just open up for me. I'm like, wow, that's who you are. That's how powerful you are. That's how incredible. That's how much you love us. That's how great. Wow. And my mind is just racing and my heart is just racing as it's being opened up. And then I remember these guys at this church I was going to, these two other guys go, hey, we meet for a Bible study. I'm like, what's a Bible study? And they're like, well, we study the Bible. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. But they're like, yeah, you should join us. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll join you if it's about the Bible. That's good. And I'm thinking we're gonna get together at like, you know, I don't know, eight o'clock at night or something. They said six thirty in the morning before we go to work. I'm like, what? I'm like, that's nuts. Why would you do something like that? Who wants to read the Bible at six thirty in the morning? Who wants to talk about God or pray or meet with the two of you? That's just insane. And they're like, no, really. I said, okay, I'll show up. And so it was Californian. So we showed up and we sat by the edge of a pool. It was kind of fun. And all of a sudden, they opened the Bible and I go, what did you guys do now? They're like, we read it. I'm like, okay, read it together. So we start reading together. And also we started talking about it. And they started explaining it. We started talking about what it meant. We started talking about how we're practicing it in our lives. And I'm like, oh, my word. My mind is just blowing up. Such an incredible moment that when I don't feel like doing a Bible study, when I don't feel like meeting with other people, when I don't feel like having other people pour into my life, I bring myself back to that place, that monumental moment. I'm like, that's what can happen when we share the word of God with one another. And it was just huge. And then they, we were meeting together, and they said, hey, on Thursday, we're going to go for a ride. Man, we're going to go out to the, to the beach. And I'm like, sweet, what are we going to do? And uh, they said, hey, we're going to go pray. I'm like, you're going to go do what? And I said, we're going to pray. We've been, we've been leading up to this all summer long, and there's this really cool place that we go to. And you've got to hike out there, and it's got this natural jetty of rocks that you've got to climb up. And you sit out in the ocean, and it's just amazing. And I'm like, sweet. And I go, and then you do what? He goes, so we pray. I'm like, okay, all right, sure, sounds good. I guess whatever." Oh, it was great. We jumped in a Jeep, and we we're making our way to the beach. This is great California thing. It's like a movie. And I'm like, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, I look. I'm like, hey, it's about to storm, man. It's about to storm. You don't go to the beach when it storms. That's just stupid. And they're like, no, it's okay. God's going to keep the storm away. I'm like, God is not keeping the storm away. That's, what are you talking about? It's right there. And they're like, no, it'll be okay. And so literally we wind up, we hike out to this place, we're out there. I'm not even joking. This blew my mind that this would even happen. They're like, listen, God told us that we're supposed to be here today praying for these specific things. And we absolutely believe that this is what we're supposed to continue. I'm like, he also told you to have a brain and we're going to be stuck out here on this little rock area that we climbed to and we will die. And they're like, no, we'll be okay. I'm like, I'm going to see this thing happen. Let's try it out. And so, literally, we climb out to this thing, and I'm not even messing with you. There is this huge, dark sky. And again, it's on the water, so I don't know exactly how far away it was, but we're watching the storm, sheets of rain just come down in front of us, and it is not moving closer. It is literally staying right there. And we had been fasting that day, and we were praying, and we got it was about 45 minutes into it, and we we felt like we were done at that particular place. And so we began to make our way off the rock. And before we had fully left the beach, it was storming with lightning and everything else. And we get into the car, the Jeep, and we're like, oh, I'm like, that was amazing, man. Like, God, it was a storm. And wind. we weren't, and it, was, and it was, and it was, and I'm just, I'm going insane. Right, those monumental moments where God was so real and he became so alive to us. And God's calling Jacob to remember that and go back to that place. But to go back to that place, he's going to have to go back real close to the territory where Esau is now living. He's going to have to face his past in order to go into his future. And so many times, God calls us to that same place. We're going to have to face our past before we go into our future. And he doesn't call us there to humiliate us. He doesn't call us to do that, to give us guilt or shame or anything else. There's things we must do. There's some... There's issues that we have to take care of. There's relationships that need to be reconciled. There's problems that need to be resolved. And they're sitting in our past because of the way we lived or the way we were or the things we did or what somebody did to us or harm that somebody meant to us or the way somebody acted towards us. And they're lingering there and they have their grip on our lives and they're invading our lives at every level. And so here's Jacob and he had this incredible encounter where he literally wrestled with God on the way back to to Bethel and And God changes his name to Israel. He goes from having the name deceiver to having the name Israel, which means let God rule. He gets to this place in wrestling with God that before he grabs hold tight to God, he says, I won't let you go till you bless me. Bless me. And he said he gave him the news of the covenant all over again and declared the same thing to him. And then he said, I call you now Israel. To become the people of Israel. To let God rule. And it was as in that moment. In remembering where he was heading back to. The power of God having to experience his past. He said. I can't do this without you. So in that moment that he surrendered himself. And let God rule. He won't get it straight. He'll mess up throughout his life. and, And Jacob won't necessarily have. The greatest of all witnesses, but he constantly was in progress, moving closer to God, seeking him. Esau, we have no reason to believe. There's nothing in Scripture, and in fact, Scripture tells us that he was a man far from God. So you have these two contrasts of brothers. Let's take a look, just for the next few minutes, about facing our past. May that be the perspective we gain out of this, about facing our past. And we start in, in Genesis 32, when it says, when Jacob prayed, Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Man, that was a great statement there from a man who's a deceiver and a conniver and trying to get everything from himself, realizing that it was the Lord who gave it to him. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me. I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers of of their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So as we walk through this, I just want us to gain a uh, a couple perspectives of wisdom as we have to face our past. Remember when the Lord takes us to our future, many times he'll have us deal with our past. And when we have to deal with it, we have to face it, we encounter it. Here's the first thing I want to say. Pray to the Lord before you go. Look at those three short words in, in Genesis 32, 9. It says, then Jacob prayed. Man, we could just blow right past that. We could just buzz right past like it was nothing. But literally, he stopped and he prayed. Now, what had taken place? He had sent his servants on ahead, and he had offered over 580 different animals as a, as a gift to say, hey, I, I took a lot from you, but I'm offering you a lot back. Don't kill me, okay? And the message came back. Hey, uh, Esau's on his way with 400 men. That was the only message that came back. So what did he do? When we're stuck in this place where we don't know, we don't understand exactly how our past is gonna catch up with us. We don't exactly know what our past is gonna speak into our present. We don't exactly know what our past aims to hurt us or to not hurt us. What are we going to do? The very first thing we're going to do is we're going to cry out to the Lord, the God of our future and the God of our past. He was never with, we were never without Him and we will never be without Him. He is the author of both of those. He is the one that will use all things for our good for those who love Him. He's the one that is orchestrating our future and telling us to go forward. But before we go forward, we cry out to him and we say, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us favor with those that we have hurt, those that we're going to encounter. Father, give us the next right step. Give us the words. Help me to know where to go and how to act in this next occasion that I'm going to be in as I face my past. But then the next thing I want us to see is that we're going to declare and remember the Lord's promises. We must be in the word. Remember what he said? oh, you said this to me, and you said I would prosper, and you said that your kindness and faithfulness, or that all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant, and that you said that you would make me prosper, and that I would have descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. We're going to go back to the Lord in these times, and we're going to remember his promises. Do you remember his promises, that he promises always to be with you and never to forsake you? Do you remember his promises, that when you need wisdom, he said, I will give it to you. When you ask, don't think that I won't. Do you remember his promises that he says the Holy Spirit is always with you, leading you and guiding you, giving us what you needed? Do you remember his promises that he said he'll work all things out for the good of those who love him? He'll work them out for his kingdom. He's always advancing his kingdom and he's using us to do that. Do you remember his promises that he is always leading his people and he always works for the benefit of his people? Do you remember his promises? Before we go into that dogfight that it could end up being, we pray to him. And then we remember his promises and remember his faithfulness because there could be some dark moments and some dark times. There's one thing that Chris and I know for sure is that we know we were called to be here. I don't know what God's going to do with us here. I don't know what it's going to mean for our time here. I don't, I don't know all those things. I don't know what the future holds. But we go back to those promises that he made to us. We go back to the promises that are just available in Scripture. When those moments get tense and dark for us here with our family so far away and our, our kids so far away, or maybe there was just a difficult time here at church, or maybe there was a, a situation where, Lord, I honestly don't know how to go forward. I remember the promises that the Lord made in our lives, both personally and throughout Scripture, and I hang on to those in order to go forward. What is it that you need to remember as you're dealing with your past? Finally, this, or, or again, this, present a gift or restitution. Remember I said that he brought forward almost over 580 animals? And then he said this, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed, uh, he instructed the one in the lead, When my brother Esau meets you and asks who do you belong to? And where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent by my to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. Now this isn't a mandate. This isn't a thus sayeth the Lord type thing. But to offer, remember we talked, about, uh, we talked about Zacchaeus, and as he came to know who Christ was, and Christ poured into his life, that he gave back up to four times what he had taken. Remember there was restitution to be paid for what he did? Well, here was... Here was Jacob who took the the birthright. He took so much from Esau. And was he trying to find favor with Esau? No doubt. But what else was he doing? He was giving back that which he took. So, there could be a situation where we're going to face our past and we do need to give back what we took. Maybe it's just in the form of a letter. Maybe it's an explanation. Maybe it's a truly a gift. Maybe it's some sort of restitution. Just look, just ask and say, hey, as I face my past, is there a way that I can be a blessing to somebody else, to the person I hurt? Is there a way that I can give restitution? Is there a gift I can bring to say, hey, I come truly in peace? I come seeking restoration. Is there a way? And so that's just a good, mindful thing that we can pick up as a perspective. And then inevitably, the question comes, right? Have you changed? Have you really changed? And we could sit there and we could scream on a mountain, look, I'm so different. I just need you to trust me. Look, I'm not the person I was, I promise. You can do that. It might work, but typically it doesn't. But here's what you can do. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. And then in another passage, it says, Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me and all, having all I need. Like, he didn't say, look at what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Hey, brother, aren't you proud of me? Look, I'm not the, I'm not the Keneaver schemer that, that I was once. Man, this is who I am now. I, I'm not out to hurt you. Like, I have enough, and I'll, I'll be continuing to make enough. And I was, no, what's he saying? He's like, look what the Lord did in my life. Look at, look at what's come about. Look at what he's provided. Look at what he's given me. And I have more than enough, and I want to give some to you we can tell people that exact thing. When it comes time to saying, hey, have you really changed? We can say, look, I want to tell you what the Lord has done in my life. I want to tell you what he's done to change me. I want to tell you the hope that he's given me. I want to tell you about the different man or woman that I am today than the one you knew in the past. You know, the one that hurt you. I want to tell you about who I am today. And I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I brought that pain about in your life. But here's who I am today. I remember that I had to write some letters to some people that I hurt before I came to know Christ. And it was a, a day before email and social media and all that kind of stuff. And I had to sit down and I had to write several letters. And I had to send them out. And I had to just declare the pain that was in my heart because of what I had done to them, because of how I had grieved them, because of what I had taken from them. I never heard anything back. I never know, knew how it landed or what it did. But I had to simply declare what the Lord did in my life. And so I spent a little bit of time just saying, please forgive me and know that I'm sorry that I hurt you. But I need you to know what God has done in my life today. I need you to know why I understand that what I did was so wrong. I need you to know what God is bringing about today. And while you may have experienced this hurt, I want you to know how he's helping others. And I don't know what happened, but I knew, I just knew I had to declare what the Lord had done in my life, not just that I was a different person. So that's what we do when we have to face our past, right? That's how we're going to approach it. That's the way we're going to pray. We're going to remember God's right blessings. We're going to remember his promises because it's going to get a little tricky right? And and then we're going to, if possible, if there's some sort of restitution we can bring, we're going to bring that. And then we're going to declare God's goodness in our life, not what we've done. So what is it? How is it that we give grace? Because maybe we're not in the situation of needing to, to seek somebody's forgiveness, but maybe we're the ones that need to give grace. Maybe we're the ones that need to go and confront somebody who has hurt us, and we need to still take that same step and pray and to remember the promises, but here's something else we need to do. We need to take the first step towards them. It says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with all 400 men. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children up front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. It was not just a sign of respect, but it was a sign of humility and it was a sign of being in servitude to the other person. So not only do I come in peace, but I come to serve you. And so they would bow and then walk forward, and bow and walk forward. Seven times he did this to assure Esau, he not only came in peace, but he came as a servant, not as a Lord. Now in doing this, he took the first step, and it says this, but Esau ran to meet Jacob. So not only did Jacob take this first step towards Esau, Esau instead, who was the one that needed to offer the grace back, right? He was the one giving the grace. He takes this amazing step towards Jacob. Now, he could have hurt him. He could have, sent he could have sent his 400 dudes to take his life. But what did he do? He took a step towards grace. Remember Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember what happened? While you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, Christ took a step towards us. What did we deserve? Death and punishment. And what did he give us? Love and grace. Deal with the past. Don't dwell on it. How is it that we're going to give grace? We're going to take the first step. And then we're going to deal with the past, not dwell on it. We're not going to do this to people. We're not going to lord it over them. We're not going to say, you know how bad you hurt me? Well, blah, 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 blah. But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to deal with it. We're going to come to terms with it. We're going to surrender it to God, and we're not going to dwell on it. And it just says this at the end of it. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds that I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept the gifts from me. For you see, your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present That was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all that I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany with you. Deal with the past and move forward. Deal with the past and in offering grace, move forward. And I realize that there's some situations in our life that can be really tough. That moving forward with that person may not actually be safe. Moving forward with that person may not be the right thing to do. But not Clinging to the past, not clinging to their sin, not controlling it, having it control you or their life, but instead dealing with it, not dwelling on it. You surrender it and you move forward. If possible, move forward with the person. If not, then you move forward with Christ. And finally, this, accept nothing in return. Remember, we're talking about grace here. Take the first step towards grace. Remember what he did? He ran to him then he embraced him. And embracing him, he didn't dwell on the past. He let it go. And then he said, come with me. And then in the process of that, what happens next? He expected nothing in return. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So many times we offer grace to somebody and we say, they didn't reciprocate. They didn't forgive me or they're still a jerk, or they're still doing these things. And so I'm going to pull it back because I gave it to them and they didn't pay the price. That's not what grace does. Grace gives and expects nothing in return. Grace gives and say, may it change your life because the grace of Jesus Christ has changed my life. May it bless you because the grace of Jesus Christ has blessed me. May it cause you to move forward in your life because I can move forward in mine. We expect nothing in return when we give grace. Take the first step. Deal with the past. Don't dwell on it. And expect nothing in return. Just give it away. All right? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and how it encourages us. Thank you for the challenge of how we would live with others. Thank you for showing us how we can get through some difficult circumstances. Thank you for using a man who didn't even follow you or acknowledge you to be one of the greatest demonstrations of grace. He had every right to take the life of Jacob and said he embraced him and he kissed him and he said, Let's go, brother! Father, thank you for that is who we should be. The recipients of your grace and your mercy and your love, we should be the people who are quick to embrace, quick to forgive, and quick to offer, expecting nothing in return. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this amazing picture of grace and goodness. It's in your name we pray.